Welcome to Crosstalk. Um, amen. It's good to be warm. And it's cool how just we don't always, the, usually the person speaking and the worship team don't coordinate. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Sing about this, but God makes it work. I mean, that is my, if you've been around me the last couple weeks, that's been my catchphrase. God makes it work every time. It's crazy. So it's cool to see that tonight. Um, My name is Paulina, if I don't know you already, and I'm on staff here at Crosstalk. And I actually came to Texas State, uh, kicking and screaming, not wanting to come. Um, But God had a better plan than I could even imagine. And uh, Crosstalk is where I got plugged in, and I was already had a relationship with God, but Crosstalk is where I learned about going deep and going all in. So um, it's me, it really been really meaningful for me. So that's a little bit about me, and if you've been here at Crosstalk this semester, um, we've been kind of echoing what church, Cypress Creek Church, this building that we're in, Um, has been talking about, and we've been doing a Let's Go series. That's what church has been doing, and we've been echoing that here. And we have really been focusing in on Peter at Crosstalk this semester. And so by this, at this point, you've heard lots of stories about Peter, either stories um, that involve Peter and what his life was like, or his writings and his teachings um, based on what he learned. So tonight, we are going to keep going with that, and we're going to look at a story about Peter that you probably, if you're like me, you probably wouldn't guess this story. Like, you probably wouldn't pick it. You know, like, I think probably Peter himself wouldn't even pick it um, if he had, like, his long list of interactions with Jesus and, and things about his life. He probably wouldn't put this very high. So, um, we're going to jump right in to Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bible or on your phone, um, it's also going to be on the screen. And we are going to, um, yeah, we're going to jump right into this story. So in the scope of, like the context of what's going on here is that Jesus had already been doing his public ministry. So he'd already had three years with his 12 disciples and he had done amazing miracles and he had preached amazing things and he had a following and a crowd and people knew him and people loved him and people hated him and he drew crowds that were dangerous and rowdy and uh, he also did incredible things. And so this is now at the end of Jesus's ministry. And so we're picking up like right when Jesus is getting ready to go on the cross. And uh, the story, we're not focusing in on this story, but the story that comes right before the one we're going to talk about is Jesus and the disciples at the Last Supper. And Jesus is telling them, as you guys probably heard and read, um, here's my blood that's going to be spilled for you. And he tells them, you're going to keep doing this thing that we call communion to remember what Jesus did for us. And so he tells them, here's my blood, here's my body broken for you. And the disciples, it doesn't say like what, obviously what they're thinking, but I'm thinking like they don't get it. They're like hearing him, but they're not like, oh, Jesus is gonna die for me. They're just like, if I'm them, they're probably like, okay, whatever you say, Jesus, that's your body, you know? And so they're like, it's interesting because Jesus is telling 
them clearly, plainly, where we can read it in hindsight and be like, oh yeah, that's what Jesus is talking about. But they didn't get it. And so uh, Jesus tells them that. They're like, they ask some questions, and, um, but they don't get it. And then uh, the next part, um, we're going to read a few verses and then we're going to skip one more time. So this is going to be uh, Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. So this is Jesus talking right here, right after the Last Supper. And I, it doesn't say if there's a location change, so I just picture that they're still hanging around after the Last Supper. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, which is Peter, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So, uh... Simon, Peter, being, you guys know because we've been talking about Peter, but he's just funny, and he says things, and he really means it, but he doesn't get it. You know, like, he's not a slow-to-speak, in my opinion. He's not a slow-to-speak kind of guy. Um, and so I'm sure, being Peter, what we know about him, he was probably like, what? You know, he probably reacted quick. Um, and so it says that Peter replies, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And knowing that the disciples didn't get what Jesus was going to do, the next, like in this very short part of Scripture, so much happens. There's so much significance that happens. And I bet you Peter didn't get it. I know he didn't get it fully, like we do in hindsight. But so when he says that, I just wonder, like, I know Peter wanted to mean that. But if he knew, like if, if I knew, knowing what I know right now, if I stepped in and was Peter, what would, would I really mean that if Jesus was literally about to get taken to his death, would I mean it? But Peter responds and is like, I'm ready to go to prison and to death and I'm all in. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And then in this passage, it just kind of like changes subject. Jesus starts talking about something else. So I don't know what Peter's response is, but knowing Peter, I feel like how I imagine Peter in his head, he was probably like, nah, I'm not going to. Not true. I'm going to prison and to death. I'm going as far as I can with you, Jesus. So um, we are going to skip a couple paragraphs down to verse 54. And like I said, so much happens here. So I'm not trying to skip it and take out important parts, but there's just a lot. So the Last Supper, then Jesus and Peter have this interaction where Jesus is like, you're going to betray me. No way, not going to happen. That's what Peter says. And then um, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he is in agony. Like we see, to me, this is like the best example that we see of Jesus and his humanity. And not because he wasn't fully God or isn't fully God, he is, but he was also fully man. And we see that he knows where he's headed and it's time for him to finish what he came on earth to do. And it says, the Bible says that he even was had sweat his sweat was like drops of blood. That's an actual condition. Like that's something we know about. And that's how much agony that Jesus was experiencing. And so Jesus gets his disciples, he gets three of them, the three that were the closest to him, including Peter. And he's like, stay awake, pray. And then Jesus goes, prays, is agonizing. He knows what he's gonna go do. 
And then he comes back and they're asleep and he's like, wake up, what are you doing? You know, and so that happens. That part happens right here in between these two passages we're reading. But where we're gonna pick up is right after Judas is the disciple who betrays Jesus. He sells, he gives Jesus up for money. And so where we're picking up is that Jesus is getting back from the garden and he's with the disciples and the soldiers come and Judas comes and greets Jesus with a kiss to signal to the soldiers who it is that they're after. And what's funny about that is that we just see Peter again because like the soldiers are coming and Judas kisses Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Like no part of Jesus is confused on like, are they gonna take me now? You know, he's willfully giving up his life. He knows exactly what this is gonna look like. And Peter cuts off one of the guys, the soldier's ears, cuts it off to defending Jesus. And what's funny is that I don't think Peter was actually trying to cut off the guy's ear. You know, like he was probably going for like a, like death, you know, and he just missed and cut his ear. I mean, yeah, I just think that's funny. And we just get so much personality in all these stories with Peter, even this one. And Peter thinking that he can defend. First of all, if Peter knew, he would not want to stop Jesus from going to the cross, right? Because that saved us. But Peter is like, no, I'm, I'm going all the way to prison or death with Jesus. So I'm all in. And, and he tries to kill this guy and he instead cuts his ear off. And Jesus is like, no more of this. And he heals that guy's ear. That's incredible. Like he healed the ear of the guy, one of the guys that was coming to take him away. And those guys were so focused in on what they were there to do, to kill Jesus, to take Jesus and to uh, crucify him, that they were not shaken at all by this amazing miracle that Jesus did before their eyes. So, that's a little bit extra, but there really is so much that happens in just these couple paragraphs. Read Luke 22 if you're looking for something to read in the Word. It's really good. So that's everything that's been happening. And then we pick up, and it's when Jesus is going, has been taken uh, prisoner. And so now it's time for them to figure out how to charge, how to come up with a charge to kill him because he hasn't done anything wrong. So they need to find something uh, that they can crucify him by. So verse 54, then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. That's pretty cool. Peter's awesome. So Peter's following at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. And yeah, I'm gonna read the next one. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And if you have a little pause, if you've been around little kids or you just have had this experience personally, because I have, when, when kids try to lie about something, and even for us, but especially in kids, the first time, like, hey, who ate all the cookies? I don't know. But the second, you know, if you're like, 
hey, did you eat all the cookies? No, I didn't eat them. And then if you ask again, you know, they're like, hey, get off my cake. You know, I didn't eat them. And we just get more and more defensive. And I kind of, I see that happening with Peter here. Like the first time he's like, woman, I don't know him. And then he's like, man, I am not. And then about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't know how Peter said it, but I picture at this point, he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Leave me alone. And what is, yeah, what's incredible about this is what comes next. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So Jesus had said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times today. Like back but when they were um, at the Last Supper. You're going to deny me three times today before the rooster crows. And it says that the rooster crowed in verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. That verse 61 that says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, that verse gets me. I mean, think about all of the interactions that Jesus and Peter had had now for three years. I mean, how many times like they had looked at each other, you know, and even like in significant and big things like Peter getting out of the boat onto water, looking at Jesus and Jesus's uh, gaze being what uh, he can trust as Lord to walk on water. And then the Lord looks at him when Peter finishes betraying or denying Jesus. And I don't know what was going on through Peter's head, okay? I'm not going to pretend to, but if I'm Peter, my stomach just dropped. I mean, like, all of it just came together, like the full puzzle, or maybe not full, but that whole everything that Jesus had been telling me that I was going to deny him comes together as I'm looking into Jesus's eyes and they're only there because they're trying to figure out how to kill him. You know, so it's not like a happy moment. They're like, no, we need to kill him. You know, they're arguing about this at the high priest's house and Peter denies him and then is the Lord, Jesus, looks at him and all of it, he understands. And he feels the uh, weight of his sin. And the question that I want to ask you guys briefly to think about is in these verses, in this second um, section of verses that we read, what determined Peter's fate? What part determined what happened for Peter next? And what I am struck by and what I love about Jesus is that what defines Peter here is not his three different denials of Jesus. What determines Peter's fate is verse 62. 
It says, and Peter went outside and he wept bitterly. I heard someone say recently that Judas betrayed Jesus, but Peter denied him. And the truth is that there's not that much of a difference between betrayal and denial. But Judas and Peter had such different, uh, they had such a different course of their life. And if you ask me, the difference maker is that Peter wept bitterly, like his sin hit him. And he, instead of denying it and being like, it's not a big deal, I didn't want to die, Jesus is already going to die, I don't, he let the weight of his own sin fall on him. And that is... To me, that is what determines Peter's fate and how incredible that it's not the denial, but it's uh, Peter's response that is, he wept bitterly. That's repentance. That's the point. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I've learned from this story with Peter is that that's it. That's the answer. There is no, we don't need to look at this story and be like, okay, Peter, if you wouldn't have gone, then you would have been, wouldn't have been at the wrong place at the wrong time, and then you wouldn't be tempted, and you wouldn't have sinned, or like figuring out somehow how to avoid Peter denying Jesus, because the solution isn't to figure out how we can avoid sin best. The truth is that we are, I am completely I am a broken person, and my capacity for sin is just as much as the next person. And I have no um, power or ability to limit the sin in my life. And the only answer, the only solution, the only place that my, the only fate for me, the only future with Jesus is just in repenting. That's it. That's the answer. And then living a life and having a pattern in my life that when I fall, I repent. And then I fall again, and then I repent again. Over and over and over again. I feel like there are several, there's probably a lot of things we can learn from this story with Peter, but I want to talk about three. And the first one is that neither our faithfulness Like no amount of good works from me, no amount of faithfulness from me, neither our faithfulness nor our faithlessness can determine our destiny. No amount of good that I can do, no amount of bad that I can do can alter what God has done for me, what Jesus has done for me. And only a decision to follow him can do that. In the first section of verses that we read, the reason I even read them is because, well, obviously Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. But more than that, Jesus says, um, let me make sure. He says, he's talking to Peter, he's telling him, you're going to deny me. And then he says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is not surprised. There is no, there is nothing that was like, oh man, Peter, you're really gonna hurt my feelings by doing this. Jesus knew and he said, I'm praying that your faith doesn't fail so that when you fall, you get back up. 
And you come back and you strengthen your brothers. So the first thing we can learn from Peter today from this story is that no, neither our faithfulness nor our faithlessness can determine our destiny. And the second thing that um, I feel like we can learn from Peter is what repentance is. And I've uh, recently heard this definition that's three parts, and it's kind of like uh, definition-y, but I like it because it's, it's clear-cut. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I've, most of my life I've lived like repentance is like, okay, yeah, I did something wrong, God. Sorry, I won't do it again. Here's my plan for not doing it again, okay? And then, depending on the sin and how uh, big or small I think it is, I punish myself. And I'm like, you better feel bad about this sin because that's how you're gonna not do it again. It's just feel bad about it and just punish yourself. And I've been like, yeah, that's repentance. I repent all the time. I feel guilty about lots of things. That is not repentance, and when we um, like measure the weight of our sin and decide if we're going to let Jesus take it fully or not, we're actually looking at the cross and being like, that's great, Jesus, but not for this sin. For this sin, I need extra punishment. Your grace is amazing and awesome. Yeah, it's true, but I need to sit in this guilt and shame for a little longer because I deserve it. The truth is, I deserve to be eternally separated from God for the smallest sin that I think I've ever committed. But because of Jesus, I have an opportunity to get up and to turn and keep walking with him. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is getting up, turning around, not just turning a little bit, but turning completely around 180 and deciding to walk in the opposite direction. And when I repent, I can't have one eye on my sin and one eye on God. I have to commit. I'm either going to be focused in on my sin and my shame and my guilt and all the ways that I'm going to fix it and I'm going to put it under my control so that I don't do it anymore. Or I'm going to turn around and be like, I am not worth this, but Jesus said that I am. And so I'm going to receive grace fully and walk. And so repentance is a three-part deal. The first one is that it's an intellectual understanding that sin is wrong. Like my brain has to say, yeah, blank is wrong. And guys, I don't know how you feel about this, but in our world right now, everybody is trying to decide what's right and what's wrong. And I am not the person to decide, but I have decided in my mind that I am going to let God be the one to decide. And when God says that something is sin, I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't agree. I don't know about that. I don't, I'm not going to, that's just old or that's this or that. I'm going to have, I'm going to tell my brain, okay, brain, God knows better. So this is wrong. This is sin. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It could be big or small, whatever it is. We have to have an intellectual understanding that blank is sin. It's something as sin. And the second, which is where we, the second part of repentance is an uh, emotional approval. Our emotions, we don't need to rely on them, but we, 
God uses them for a purpose. And with this, guys, what we see in Peter's story is that he wept bitterly. And an emotional approval is heartfelt sorrow, like, I'm guilty. And not like, oh, I feel so bad about this and I'm a horrible person and I wish I could be like that person and not sin like this or I'm not really a child of God or I'm a child of God, but I need a little bit of punishment. None of that. Just a literal, I'm sorry. And I understand that when, like Peter, when Jesus is looking at me, that I missed the mark. I missed the mark that Jesus made. And the third part is the most important part, and it is that repentance is a personal decision to turn from a life that is full of sin and darkness and to turn towards Jesus, knowing that he gives me life. He doesn't want a, he's not looking for a robot that does everything that he wants me to do, but he is looking for me to turn all the way to him and to be all in with him. The last thing that I think we can learn from Peter in this is that our um, efforts and our declarations don't impress God. And I don't mean to say that God doesn't care about what we do or what we say. Of course, of course he does. But I have lived like I can do enough so that God loves me or is happy with me or is pleased with me for too long. And my efforts and my, what I say, like what Peter, do you think that Jesus, knowing everything that he knows and knowing that Peter was gonna deny him when Peter's like, no, I'm ready to follow you to prison and death, do you think Jesus was like, oh, good, okay. No, like Peter, I mean, Jesus already had Peter's sin in front of him. He knew. And he is not worried about what I can muster up for him. When, uh, if you've read the book of John, we believe that John wrote that book. And what's funny is that John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And at first I'm like, oh, that's a little prideful. <laughs> you know, like the one who Jesus loved, I'm pretty sure he loved all of them and us, you know. But I have learned so much from that because what Peter, what we see Peter do time and time again is that he is like, I'm gonna do something for Jesus. Like, Jesus, I'm gonna go to prison and to death as far as that with you. And he makes these big claims and he's like, always says the impulsive thing that the others are thinking, but he jumps out there first and he does it. And obviously Peter figured it out. I'm not trying to like put him down, but it's just funny because look at John. John refers to himself as the one that Jesus loves. And where I wanna land today is that God's love for me is way better 
and way more perfect and valuable and of worth than my love for God. And while, of course, like the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, but my love is imperfect. Even God's love through me, I give out imperfectly. Does that make sense? God's love is not perfect, but my, through me, through this broken vessel, it becomes imperfect. Like I can't fully love the way that God loves. So where I want to land is that I want to be like John. I know we're talking about Peter, but I want to be like John in this. I want to believe that I am the one who Jesus loves. And God's, that, that change, when somebody first pointed that out to me, that John had an understanding. Who was better off? John is actually, based on John's uh, writings, was there as well. And it doesn't say, we don't have info that says that John denied Jesus. So who, in this case, who was better off? Peter, who said, I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go as far as prison and death and then denied Jesus. Or John, who was like, I'm the one who Jesus loves. And that's why the Bible says, if we're going to boast about anything, let's boast about him and his love for us and not my love for him. I want, guys, I want to love him with everything that I am. I want to. I want to do it. And when I don't want to, I want to want to do it. And I want to try hard and I want to give my life and I want to lay my life down to love him, but it will never be enough. It will never be enough. It won't be enough to make God love me more because he already loves me perfectly and it won't be enough to get me to heaven without, aside from the work of Jesus on the cross, but what is always enough, what is the answer to every circumstance in my life, to every problem that I face, to every fear and insecurity that I have, what is always the answer is that I and you are the one who Jesus loves. And that has always been true about you before your parents even thought about you. And that always will be true about you. You are the one who Jesus loves. And he had you in mind on his walk to the cross in every step in between. You are the one who Jesus loves. And I want to live that out. I want to believe that even over my the sin that most feels like it entangles me at times and the patterns that I fall into time and time again and the standard that I don't feel like I measure up to or the way that I don't, that I feel like I don't compare it to other people, all that stuff, all that stuff to cover it with, but I am the one who Jesus loves. I want to tell you guys one story and then we're going to be done. I... Um, like I said, I was in crosstalk as a student, and um, I had been following Jesus. I started a relationship with God when I was in eighth grade, and so when I came to college, it was it was a lot. Like I grew a lot, absolutely, but I had already been walking with God, and so I, it was just like transformed me in college and getting to walk with community like this and having people pour into me and all of that was amazing. And so in my head, 
I would have considered myself at this point a mature Christian. And I had fallen in sin, but not because it's just funny where you can tell that I had everything mapped out like, okay, now you've gotten to step two of Christianity or following Jesus, so now I only deal with these sins. You know, and all of that, that other stuff is BC. And I'm gonna uh, put Becky on the spot a little bit, but I went to dinner with Becky and I knew I had to confess. No way around it. I just had to confess what I had been doing and what I had been going through. And that uh, dinner with Becky changed my life forever. Because what happened is that me, in my like sorrow over my sin and shame and also the shame of like not meeting a standard because I fell in a way that I was like, I don't do that anymore. As if that is the case. That doesn't matter. There aren't sin categories. We are all susceptible to all sin all the time. But I told, I confessed to Becky, and she did not bat an eye. Like, it wasn't like, you did what? It wasn't like, I can't, and you're a leader? And, and I think I might have even been an intern with Crosstalk at that point. There was never any like, oh, we better rethink this hire, this leader, this person. But all, I remember asking her, like, Becky, what do I do? What do you do when I've been following Jesus and I fall like this? You know what she said? She was like, you keep following Jesus. And really, it changed my life forever. Because in that one phrase, it broke down all of the systems that I had put up in my own brain of, like, well, I don't earn my salvation, but I'm doing a good job. Not true, ever. Never could I ever do anything that Jesus would be like, hey, I mean, I came on the cross to die for you, but you did a good job on your own too. (laughs) That uh, interaction, that conversation changed my life forever because it established that I, neither my faithfulness nor my faithlessness can take Add or take away from the grace that is already given and complete and overflowing and abundant in Jesus. That's it. No matter what you are going through right now, my prayer is that you would lay it at Jesus' feet and follow Becky's advice. Follow Jesus. Just get back up and follow Jesus. And then when you fall again, get back up and follow Jesus and live out that you are not, God isn't gauging you and your life by what you're doing for him or even your, like your love for him and how much you are giving to him or if you're pleasing him or not. But he has already uh, gauged your life. He's already put a stamp on your life and it says innocent because of Jesus. No asterisks, no innocent but struggling, no innocent but still falling in this way or innocent but anything else. But when we believe in Jesus, that's it. Innocent, done, complete. You are the one who Jesus loves. So um, if the band will come back up, I want to do 
um, something I want to pray together. And then we've done this before, but these, uh, these steps here and over there, they're supposed to represent um, an altar. And it's not an altar to the band, you know, or to anybody up here. But they're just supposed to represent an altar, Jesus's altar. And whatever God is doing in your heart is already enough. Like it doesn't need works to be validated. But God also leads us to confess and sometimes leads us to have a physical surrender to him. And so all I want to do tonight and say that this is say that this is open up here and follow what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. And if you, in your prayer and repentance and time with God, feel like it's appropriate for you to get on your knees where you are, do it. If you feel like it's appropriate to lay flat and just be surrendered before God, do it. If it feels appropriate to come up just as a symbol of repenting of all the darkness and the stuff in our lives that we either participate in or that someone else brings into our lives, then do it. It's open. And it's not about what you can do for God, but it's just how much God has done for you and for me. That means that I can approach his throne boldly as if I had never sinned with that stamp of innocence on my life undeserved but fully mine and fully yours so let me pray for us thank you Jesus that your sacrifice your life given up for us is enough you are worthy God there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from the love that you have lavished on us, that you have given without holding back. You have laid your own life. You have put your own life in our place, Jesus, and we are the one that you love. I pray, God, that you would make that real in each of our hearts, that we would live out a faith and a walk that isn't trying to control or limit our sin or try to please you, God, but that we would live from a place of knowing that we are, that you are pleased with us because of what Jesus did for us. We are clean. We are innocent. fully what you did, Jesus, and we don't put any asterisks or any claims that we can do anything about our own sin, but that we just say that we need you desperately, God. And we lay everything that we have and that we are at your feet. We surrender and we put a stake in the ground and say, enough with my control, enough with my way, enough with my sin, with the stuff that's entangling me. We turn, we repent, God. We make the 180 shift to be looking straight at you. Thank you, God, that when we look at you, that we see grace and mercy and not wrath or punishment or shame or guilt. We are fully loved and seen by you, God. We trust you.
trust you and we claim that you are enough, Jesus. You are worthy. And we boast that we are the ones that you love and that we have no part in that, no effort or claim or anything to boast on our behalf, but we just boast in you, Lord.